the secret chiefs of the third order they have a lot of the illuminated masters whatever you want to call them they exist in a plane above our own because they're ascended masters right like higher vibrational frequencies stuff like that. right but because they're non-corporeal and lost their corporeal bodies many many eons ago they have a lot of trouble communicating with humans using language so they think more abstractly and communicate very abstractly so they either use go-betweens which i've seen before where you'll have another person entity process in between them and you welcome back i'm here with olav phillips olav how you doing i'm all right how are you i'm doing well all right, so there's this book your publishing company put out right. called Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. And yes. I came across it because there is a tool that you can go to on the website. I think it's like thesecretcipher.com. Correct. So if you type in thesecretcipher.com, and I'll have <clears throat> the link below, you can type in your name and there are associated words that are similar to your name according to certain principles of this secret cipher of which you'll that's good yes yeah and i got some strange really you did weird results so <laughs> you did we're not necessarily going to discuss that or maybe we'll see we'll see where the interview goes well, i but, can explain it real quick okay yeah 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 explain how it works and what it is and and why sure. it's significant. So basically, when Aleister Crowley wrote the Book of the Law, he was told by the entity that he channeled that there was a hidden cipher within it that would reveal secrets. And so in the 70s, there was a guy in England that actually found this cipher. It's called the ALW cipher, the cipher number six, but it's hidden within the Book of the Law in a grid. And basically, the reason they call it the ALW cipher is because it's a substitution cipher where each letter has a numeric value, and A has is 1, L is 2, and W is 3. And so based on that, you can create a chart where all the letters have different number correlations. So basically, the way it works is that the original idea there was a offshoot that greenfield worked on but the original called this, the lexicon this is alan, this is alan, alan greenfield. Green, just real alan quick if you can explain for the audience alan greenfield has been an occultist for i don't know 60 years a ufologist a parapsychologist you know i think he's most comfortable just calling himself a 14 that's what i do as well he went through the ranks of the OTO. Eventually, he had a, a fundamental disagreement with the OTO, so he left. So he participates in what's called free Illuminism now. But he, while he was in the OTO, he became familiar with the ALW cipher, cipher six. And then, for and folks who it, folks who aren't familiar, the OTO is Ordo Temples. Yeah, it's an, a descendant of Crowley's operations. And it's ceremonial magic. They carry out rituals. It's a rank system based roughly on Freemasonry. And they perform magic. 
Greenfield is quite the magician. Magus, I guess, would be the more proper term. He, I once got him an interview on a radio show. The guy asked him to open a portal. So he opened a portal over the radio station and blew the transmitter offline. So, I mean, the guy has some legitimate skill. Um, he's also. Why would a radio quite, host do that? <laughs> good for it's ratings. Like playing with fire, right? It's good for ratings. But he is also quite a fountain of information about occultism in general. At one point, he had in his possession the original initiation documents for the OTO signed off by Crowley, and he had Gardner's. If you know Gardnerian Wicca, he had Gardner's documentation from the OTO giving him the power to start a lodge. So, you know, he, he has original books. He has original paperwork from Crowley. He's quite the occult historian and just an absolute fountain of knowledge. Well, anyway, so he discovered cipher number six, the FW cipher. And at the time, he was very interested in ufology. And so he went ahead and took, this is all in the book, obviously. If you buy the book, he explains how to do this stuff. And the but link, he took and that's a, the secret cipher of the euphonauts. And the yeah, we, we suggest that people buy the complete cipher of the euphonauts because it has the secret cipher and it has the mysterious rituals of the men in black, which was the second book. When the United States and China clash, the world will never be the same, especially when forces beyond reality threaten to intervene. What if the United States went to war with the People's Republic of China? How would these rivals fight for supremacy on land, sea, air, and across the stochastic streams of time? What wonder weapons would be unleashed? What horrors would emerge from the irradiated sludge of the South China Sea? What heroes would rise and forever change the course of history? Tread into the deepest and darkest dimensions of the multiverse, gaze through a kaleidoscope of fractured realities, and bear witness to the disturbing visions of World War III from today's greatest minds in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Weird World War, China. Available now from Bain Books at Bain.com. The Secrets of the Black Lodge Revealed is actually the third book, the final book. Originally, it was supposed to be about the secret chiefs, but between him and I, you know, we realized that we needed to really write a book about the Black Lodge, given everything that was going on. But yeah, he, well, he more on that, more on that in the next episode. But yeah, so he took the cipher and he fed very. I mean, everybody's fed in like Jesus or Muhammad or Buddha or whatever, but he actually took names like Orthon from the Adamski contactee period of ufology in the 50s, which is when he was coming into it, basically. And he has a book called Saucers and Saucerers, which talks about some of the things that he did in the 50s and the 60s. But he basically fed them in and into the cipher, and he got some pretty crazy results. And the, the thing that he's always claimed and I backed it up by actually doing it myself because one of the things I was lucky enough to do is he's pretty much my mentor when it comes to all things magical or occultist. So I have uh, crazy ideas. I talk to him about it, and he, vice versa. And so I've used the secret cipher. He trained me to use the secret cipher, how it works. And I used it to accurately predict things. I used it to find out information. I found another even more secret cipher uh, using the secret cipher. But effectively what it is, is if you use the app, it's technomancy, 
we're using a machine to perform a magical working or function. And you put in a word, in your case, you put in your name, and it ascribes numerical values to each letter and then adds them up. And then it scans uh, Crowley's Book of the Law, which was the instructions. It scans Crowley's Book of the Law to find other statements within the book that correspond to the same numerical value. So let's say you put your name in and the numerical value is 93. 93 obviously is the number of the secret chiefs. It's a very magical number. But let's say yours is 93. And let's say that it finds a statement in the book of the law, which is and Hathor's crown, right? That also equals 93. So when you get the output from the website or the iPhone app or whichever thing you're going to use, when you get the output, one of the outputs that you see will be of Hathor's crown because its value is 93 and your name is 93. Does that, and, does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just tell the audience this because it was pretty odd. I'm not going to get too deep into it, but for the past two years or so, like I'm seeing hawks everywhere, like hawks flying over me, hawks landing on trees right in front of right. me. Hawks circling around. I've seen hawks fighting ravens in the sky. Uh, it's I mean, a that happened this year. It's uh, a you know, and then owl, I mean, I, you obviously saw the multiple pictures of the owl that right landed on. That's yeah, yeah. yeah so, I mean, so, go ahead. Well, I mean, that's that's so. I'll to explain the story of how I found you. Right. Again, this could all be just random probability. I don't know. I just like I. I don't know. It just it seems really weird. So yeah, I have merch on my site. Okay, and that day I just named the owl Marvin, and I just put him on the site. Well, one of the okay. uh, my patrons who follows it, he's like, "When did you name that thing?" I'm like, "What, what do you mean?" And it turned out that. I guess there's, you know, he's been seeing a lot of crows and he had kind of named a crow Marvin. The other weird thing that I learned is that the Egyptian symbol for the phonetic sound of M is an owl. Right. So all this stuff's done completely unconsciously. Anyway, he refers me to your cipher on the website. Right. So. I type in my name, you know, the full name, Sean Patrick Hazlett, and I get the following results. In the top three, I'm not going to read all of them, but right. number one is enthroned in Ra's seat, and the third one is the hawk-headed mystical. For folks who don't who know anything about Egyptology, at various times, Horus, the god Horus, is synonymous with Ra, as is the hawk-headed god right so i'm like that's weird so then i looked up the publisher of the book which right. was you know you yes. and i'm like oh this is interesting <laughs> I, I, this is a really weird result i should reach out to this guy and then it turns out that the address of your publishing company or at least the p.o right. box is right. a mile from my house Right, right. <laughs> which is so. I'm like, there's some, there's some weird. So well, I, I reached out to you and go ahead. Well, that's synchronicity, right? That's part and parcel of how these things work. 
one of the more famous uh, uses of the cipher uh, was in a show called Hellier. And everybody yep. has probably seen how you're well, they, they refer to the secret cipher extensively and they interviewed Alan for the show. And one of the things that they came and I have my own beliefs about Hellier, but one of all good, by the way, but one of the things that happened was that they found a balloon. And so now they have a lot of symbolism around balloons that they'll do things and balloons will appear. Not long after I watched the show, I started to encounter balloons as well. And again, this is synchronistic. When I found that other cipher using the secret cipher, I found a graduation balloon, which basically effectively meant that I was graduating to another level. But much like the secret cipher itself, as you saw, the output of it is metaphorical. And the way that the secret chiefs see when you run the cipher, the secret chiefs of the third order, they have a lot of the illuminated masters, whatever you want to call them. They exist in a plane above our own because they're ascended masters. Right. Like higher vibrational frequencies, stuff like that. Right. Right. But because they're non-corporeal and lost their corporeal bodies many, many eons ago, they have a lot of trouble communicating with humans using language. So they think more abstractly and communicate very abstractly. So they either use go-betweens, which I've seen before, where you'll have another person, entity, process in between them and you. And that could be you seen hawks that could be you seen a balloon that could be you being contacted by another person or another entity it depends on how you're engaging with it what i would suggest is that when you see those hawks those are a sign and the sign from what i've seen the place and the time and the action that you're undertaking at the moment you see the hawk is the way you figure out what the message is. So let's say that you're at work and you get a raise and you're driving home and you see a hawk. The hawk is significant or you're driving to work, you see a hawk and then you get a raise. The hawk is telling you something's about to happen, right? And then something happens or something just did happen. If you got the raise and saw the hawk, it's confirmation. If you see the hawk and get the raise, it's premonition. Now, right. It's what do you before. make now? What again? I don't want to make this about me, but what do you make specifically no, about that result? Because the hawks came long before that result, right? It, sure. like, if somebody started seeing hawks all the time after getting that result, I would be a little bit more suspicious because of attention bias, confirmation right. bias. But and this thing just came out of the blue. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that shows that it was a symbol before you knew it was a symbol. You found out it was a symbol, now you can interpret it, but it's always been there. And by right. the way, there's also been lots of Horus imagery. Um, sure, but again, before it, that, it's, right. it's always existed, you were just unaware of it. And so what that tells you, for example, the number 93. When you see the number 93, it means that the secret chiefs are... are watching or more in a lot of cases including my own if you see a 93 it's indicative of your where you're supposed to be whether you're joyous whether you're suffering whether it's a good day or a really bad day 
if you see a 93, it means that the secret chiefs are with you and you are where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And again, you know, this goes back to Joseph Campbell's concept of the heroic journey, the hero's journey that you, as you journey on your quest, you will go up and you will go down. Sometimes you'll even go sideways, but eventually all of those events where you're having good days and bad days and sideways days, the end result is a product of the journey itself. So, you know, when I see a 93, you know, after I wrote the book with Greenfield, I had quite a bit of bad things happen, but as the bad things are happening, I'm seeing these 93s and it's telling me, you know, these bad things are happening, but this is the way that it's supposed to be. That You just have to accept that some bad things are going to happen as a result of what you did, but you needed to do it. Right. So in your case, I would suggest to you that the dates and the times and the actions that you are undertaking when you see these hawks is probably indicative. It's probably like a balloon to me. I thought the balloon thing was pretty funny and interesting, and, and I thought it was a good idea. And so that's how they, I mean, I've communicated with the secret chiefs in other ways that I can explain to you how to do, but in, in my case, you know, big deals get balloons. So if I see a balloon on the side of the road, I literally stop and pick it up because I want to see what it is because it's sending me a message. The hawk is probably now, the same for you. Yeah. And here, here's the other, uh, a few other quick synchronicities about that. So I have four children. Okay. So did Horace. <laughs> right. My, that, but that's, that's my, how, it's like Mithra and Jesus, right? It's a, how it works. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have a comp, like my confirmation name is Michael. Apparently, right. and I just discovered this recently, the Archangel Michael is a stand in for, for us. For us. Yeah. So, I, I, but the thing is, I have no idea what that means or why, if it's important at all, or if it's just well, all sheer random coincidence. Well, it, it, it's, it's like me, you know, I'm a terrible tarot card reader. I mean, I could do a lot of stuff, you know, I've studied a lot of things, but I'm a terrible tarot card reader. But the one thing that I know, I always forget what they all mean. But the one thing that I know is that every time I get a tarot card reading or I fiddle around with tarot cards, if I fiddle around with tarot cards, there's this idea that when you're manipulating the tarot cards, there are cards that will jump, meaning that you're shuffling the deck and cards will fall out. Those cards are very significant because they're being brought to your attention. So you should pay attention to that versus just, you know, just dealing them out. And every time I'd get a tarot reading, I always get the Empress. Every time I get the Empress. And every time I shuffle a deck, the Empress pops out. And I kept thinking, why is the Empress always popping out? It has to be more than just what the tarot deck says the Empress means. And so I did a lot of research because a lot of these things are very arcane. And they take a lot of time to figure out, you know, like the Archangel Michael and Horus. Well, in my case, I discovered over time and using the secret cipher, by the way, that I am associated with an archangel named Haniel, which isn't commonly known. Most times, you know, you know the big ones. Well, Haniel is an archangel, but 
Haniel is actually the only archangel that manifests as a woman. And she's the archangel of love and knowledge and a lot of other stuff. But the Empress card maps to Haniel. And so once I realize that, they still pop out, but now I understand why. It's because it's reminding me that Haniel is my archangel. And, and is this any, is common. Go ahead. Any relationship between Haniel and Hathor? You know, I don't know. That's actually something I'll take a look at. I never really thought about that, but that's a good idea. I do know that once long ago, I had a dream, this weird dream. And this isn't long after I figured out the whole Hany Al thing. I had a dream, and every time I fell asleep, I went straight into the dream, and it, it was contiguous. It would stop, and then I'd wake up, and it would stop, and then I'd fall asleep, and I'd go right back to where I was. And at the time, I didn't really understand. I understood bits and pieces of it, but like anything that's 14 in nature, you don't understand the full scope of it until you come back to it later and you have revelation. And so in the dream, I was being led through a massive library, a library that the scope of which you can't imagine. And there were people sitting at desks working on things and reading books. Kind of like the the Akashic Records, sort of? Well, what I figured out later is that it was the Akashic Record, as near as I can tell. To advertise on Thrill Glass Darkly, email thrillglassdarklyads at gmail.com. And I was being led through it by a woman, a rather tall woman. You know, I'm six foot three, so about my height, wearing a gray cloak with red stitching around the edges of it, like a loop stitching around, you know, in the, the bottom of the fabric. It was like a loop stitching around the cuffs or around the base or around the hood, around the edges. And so red, obviously, is the color of Haniel. But I realized later that actually that person that was leading me through this library or Akashic record was Haniel herself. And this went on for days, days and days. It wasn't like I had a dream and one night and it stopped. I woke up, I went and got some water, I came back, I started it. It actually went on for three days. And three, again, is a very significant number. But it was quite the experience. And so, you know, again, I determined that mine is Hany Al, yours is Michael. I'm sure that it maps to something interesting in Egyptian or Norse mythology. But, you know, that's how this stuff works. It's all about the synchronicities and the causalities. If you want to train yourself on how to deal with synchronicities, Mm -hmm. there's a new version of it, but I think the 1970s version of it is better. Go watch a TV show called Connections with James Burke. If you watch Connections with James Burke, you'll understand how how synchronicities and causality works. Interesting. And and retro-causality, right? Yeah, retro-causality, yeah. Can't forget retro causality. That's most of it because you find out about it later. Yeah. Well, here, the other thing to well, or retro causality in terms of the ability of the future to influence the present or the present to influence the past and vice versa. Oh, sure. In that context, yeah. yeah. Right. But and, you have to understand other- when you get far enough, when you get far enough down, you know, I think you start to go toward the island hypothesis where, you know, time is nonlinear and that you jump from island to island. Say more about that. I'm not familiar with that. Sure. So there's a notion that the time itself, we perceive it to be linear, right? Because we're stuck in a causal loop where we've developed a time system and we use watches and chronometers. We have calendars. 
and our perception is is that it's linear i take one step forward then another step then another step but there is a theoretical model that says that time actually is not linear at all that what it is is it's a series of hot spots that you step from one island to another versus it being linear i mean it ends up being linear but time exists in bubbles basically versus a linear path now is this an esoteric definition is it a bulk universe no, it's, interpretation no, it's it's a it's a it's a quantum mechanics model but i think that it maps to esoterics because in esoterics the notion of time is relative because it's this idea that time exists all at once yep yeah just different right? frequencies basically right different like frequencies different planes yeah there was a good twilight zone a long time ago where the guy was slightly out of phase and he saw the people like moving the cars and rigging things up because he was stuck between seconds. Yeah. According to quantum mechanics, right? We're not really solid. We're just vibrating at a certain right. frequency. Or, I mean, it's not, I'm no, it's true. It sound much, but I'm making well, it sound much simpler than it really is. Like at each level, molecules vibrate at a certain frequency then dna vibrates at a slightly different frequency well because the rate of vibration we're all right. we're all made up of electrons and protons and atoms exactly. and the difference between you know the soda that i'm drinking the fluid and this chair the solid is just the vibration of the atoms right exactly and then it's just the faster slower yeah which could kind of fit a scientific model of a lot of the phenomena that if something is vibrating at an extremely mm -hmm. high frequency right we wouldn't see it right it's like looking at a ceiling fan that's right. vibrating much faster Boy, you don't really see the individual blades you might see like you know a part you know, of it i heard a story once from a guy who knew carlos santana and he went to visit carlos santana at carlos santana's compound out in hawaii and he was sitting there they were all eating like ice cream sandwiches because apparently carlos santana loves ice cream sandwiches and he keeps like freezers everywhere filled with these ice cream sandwiches and so there were some workers who were there adding on to his house or doing something and so he said everybody's going to take a break it's ice cream sandwich time and so they're sitting there and this guy's talking to carlos santana and santana's telling him look if I play my guitar at the right frequency, I can pass through walls. And the guy says, that's ludicrous. Don't be stupid, Carlos. You can't do that. He says, no, I'll show you. He says, go into that other room. And, it, you know, he had to walk a very circumspect path to get there. He had to, like, go around. Yeah. He ends up in this room that's on the other side of the wall from where Santana is. And he says, okay, I just want you to sit there and just eat your ice cream sandwich. And so he hears Santana start playing. And the next yeah. thing he knows, Santana's in the room with him. He didn't see him pass through the wall, but he's in the room with him. And how did he get there? I mean, he did something with the vibrational energy. Somehow. Yeah, he changed his vibration and passed through the wall is what the guy took away from him. And the guy that told me this story, you know, within the Bay Area, he's a very famous person, maybe not so much anymore, but during the 80s, the 70s, the 80s, and the early 90s, you know, this guy was part of one of the news organizations. Everybody would know who he was. If you were around the Bay Area in the 80s, 70s, and the 80s, you would know exactly who this guy is. And he told me this on an airplane to CES. 
you know, again, a weird synchronicity that I'm sitting next to this guy. He's flying coach and he's telling me this crazy story. And he told me the crazy story because I don't like flying. And he knew I was nervous. And here's this famous guy who sits down next to me. And he just started talking to me just to make me have a better day. And you don't think about media personalities being like that you think that they're jerks and this guy you always have a soft spot on my heart because he tried to just make my flight a little easier by telling me a crazy story about carlos santana how did you get talking about that <laughs> i have no way, idea is there, is there a bird out there oh yeah we have lots of birds i can hear the same bird over and over and over yeah again. I, I live in the i live in the, the hills <laughs> there's a, there, there, there's there a is again birds. Do you know what type? Yeah. Do you know which bird it is? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> a, I'm not the, desc well, describe it because it's been pretty vocal. I can't see it. I can't see it. I mean, one bird we do get a lot of are like vultures. We get a lot of vultures here because there's a lot of squirrels, and I live up in the mountains. I'm below the pine line. You know, the, there's a lot of oak trees here, but you know, I'm. It, okay, you know Mount Diablo? Because you're from yeah. the Bay Area, you know? Yeah. I'm about yeah, half... I'm, it's literally that I'm, way. <laughs> right. I'm about halfway yeah. halfway up Mount Diablo in altitude. Oh, oh, oh in altitude. Yeah, I was going to be like, yeah. you're north. Okay. No, no. South, I'm east. Right. No, I'm, I'm dead it's east of you. I'm dead east. <laughs> okay. I'm when you pass by Yosemite and you start climbing up in the mountains. Oh yeah, yeah, I've been I've been there with a bad yes. car, and you're like, I don't know if this is going to make. It. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, so, so this is part and parcel of the notion of what you're experiencing is what's called synchronicity, and you you need to chart. You would be wise to chart the synchronicities that occur. And by chart, just like in terms of record them and well, then what happens. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, have a journal, write down the time and the date and the location, what you were doing and what you saw. For me, it's yeah, a little the, easier because I, I get balloons, so I keep the balloons. Well, here's, a, here's another, again, it probably could, could mean nothing, right? But right after I was oh, just no. on coast to, coast to Coast AM, I was talking about what a Chinese invasion of Taiwan might look like, okay? <laughs> I have a, I have a national security background, right? So, which would probably explain yeah. the whole St. Michael thing, but... It'd be right bad. At, right <laughs> when, yeah, it would be really, really, really bad. We'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> yeah, we could talk about that some other time. Well, again, another hawk synchronicity. I, I once had a dream where I saw a three winged hawk. There's nothing in Christian literature about that with angels. Angels typically have an even number of wings, but I think in Islamic right. iconography, there's, there's, you know, you get three winged, whatever. I don't, uh, anyway, three winged hawk. I felt like a protective guardian sort of feeling from it. The next day I'm sitting in front of my computer and the front door blows open. Okay. And which happens when it gets windy from time to time, our front door is not great, but so I get up, I go to the door to close it. I'm like, Oh, it's a nice day. I'm going to go just walk out my front door. As soon as I walk out my front door, a Hawk swoops in at eye level like flies right over my head and then lands on a redwood tree and just, and you can see that, you know, cause they're big, they're big. Animals. Yeah. They're very big. Yeah. You can see the thing, you know, the, the mm -hmm. top of the tree shake. But again, 
It could be attention bias, could be confirmation bias. No, I mean, you can explain it away. You know, what I try to tell people, and I actually I write it in a book if anybody ever asked me to ask me to sign it. I say, you know, the, the signs are all around you. You just have to look. And the synchronicity of a door blowing open, you walking out, and a hawk landing on a redwood tree which all has its own significant message to you. You know, that that seems a little synchronistic to me. And you had a dream about a, a three-winged hawk the night before. You know, I, I think that you're setting, you know, you're seeing the output of the synchronicity that you seeing that hawk was to confirm that you had the dream maybe. And as far as a three-winged hawk, I would also look in Mesopotamia and iconography. I believe they had a three-winged hawk. But, you know... That's how this works. And, you know, in the case of Hellier, I think Hellier opened this notion up to a lot of people. I believe that Hellier is a a magical working in and of itself. The people, if you're willing, because remember, consent is always required for magic. And if you're willing and open to it, I think you become part of the working of Hellier. You got a raven. You got a raven outside right now. Yeah, there's definitely a raven around here somewhere. I can hear him, but <laughs> I can't see him. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, again, again. Oh, yeah. I see a lot of those too. Well, I, I, you know, I was in a bad spot in my life once upon a time, and you know, I, I do firmly believe that there God's, is. yeah, behind me somewhere, God's exist. But I think that my own view of it is that they're basically all the same thing. It's just different manifestations based on what you want. And are most comfortable viewing. So whether you get you get Ra or you get Horus or you get a you know you get a hawk or you get Saint Michael or not Saint Michael but Michael the Archangel, you know they're all the same thing. It's just oh, it's Saint Michael and it's the same thing. Saint Michael's yeah. also yeah. yeah, but it's it's you know and his flaming sword and all that. You know you, you get what you're most comfortable seeing because it's how the universe or the secret chiefs are manifesting to you in order for you to be able to ingest the information. In fact, there's a, a system that you can use that I developed where if you want to interface with them, you can. But when you do, one of the most important things is that when you, everybody has a question, right? Everybody wants to know something. Well, you know, what's going to happen to this or to that or whatever. I think the one thing that I figured out over time is that, and a little advice from Alan, is that when you ask the question, you always have to say in terms I can understand. And I remember once I asked, I'm like, you know, at the time I was single and you always want to know who's my soulmate, right? And so, you know, I was dumb enough to ask such a, tr a trivial question. And I said, in terms I can understand, Right. And so what I saw going through that was basically a film reel. I was in a black void and at the bottom was a film reel. And, you know, you could say that I was dreaming or whatever, but, you know, it seemed pretty real to me at the time. And the film reel would scroll across the bottom of the screen, right? Like where my finger is. And it was going right to left. And it, there were like little cells and the cells would have a picture of a person. And then sometimes it'd move faster, sometimes it'd move slower. Sometimes the cell would lift up, and sometimes it would lift up and grow bigger, and sometimes it would go down and get smaller. 
and it would scroll by and there was videos there were photos it was men it was women you know it was and this all is a kinds dream of, that this is a dream you had right right i put myself into a communicative state and i asked that question and this is what i was shown and so I had another oddly premonitional experience like that too. But what I took away from that is that when you ask, for example, who's my soulmate? Well, you have a lot of different ones. And yeah, some are too better. open of a question, right? Right. And some of them are better than others. And so that's why it would slow down so that I could see their faces. And in some cases, it would open up and become bigger so that I could really see who they were. And they were all colors. They were all heights. They were all looks. And again, th these are people that would be penultimately compatible with you is what it came down to. This system itself literally answered my question in terms that I could understand. Did you, you know, I had a, meet any of those people or date any? You know, some of them looked awfully familiar, but I couldn't place them. It's that kind of weird. I know I've seen you somewhere. And that fact, when I sat and thought about it for a while, because a lot of times with esoteric stuff, you have to kind of sit and ponder it a little bit to try to understand what you experienced. And after sitting and pondering it for a while, I realized that these people are all around you. And I realized that at least one of them, I'm pretty sure that I saw them at like Fuddruckers, <laughs> which sounds trivial and stupid, but I would go to Fuddruckers every year for my birthday. Because, you know, they've got a one-pound hamburger, and I just thought it was asinine. So I'd go and order it and eat, like, 30% of it and be like, I can't eat anymore. I'd live off of it for three days, you know. But at the same time, you know, I'm pretty sure that that person I saw was there. And I don't know how I know that. I just, I seem to remember it for some reason. Again, part of the synchronistic nature of it. But they're all around you. And what I was saying about signing the book, you know, I always tell people the signs are all around you. You just have to look or you have to be brave enough to look. And so, you know, these people are all around you. You just have to be brave enough to find them. All right. So what's the significance of the raven going nuts during that last? I could hear it. The entire... <laughs> you have to understand that, like, I see ravens, owls, and sure. hawks constantly. Well, we also talking... hummingbirds, also hummingbirds. And this happens in interviews where when I was talking to Mike Clellan, the owl guy, I, we were talking about hummingbirds and sure enough, a hummingbird shows up outside his window. In this interview, we were talking about hawks, and, <laughs> you know, owls. Oh, well, I was going to tell you a story about a raven. So, yeah, you know, I think these things are all manifestations of the same thing, just represented the different way masks. that makes it. Yeah. Different mass. Yeah. The multi-mass God. And so I was not getting where I wanted to be. And I was frustrated and tired. And, you know, I, you know how it is. And so I went outside and I said, you know what? I prayed to everybody else. I've asked everybody else for help. Maybe this time, you know, I'm Scandinavian. Maybe I'll call up Thor and go, Thor, help me out. You know, and I looked it up and because I have an anthropological background, so I like to do things right. I looked up the procedure I called forth to Odin and Thor and Freya. And given what I wanted, these are the three individuals that can make it happen for me. And so the first time, you know, I got a thunderclap 
when I did it. And this wasn't in California, was it? Yeah, it was in California. Was in Which never happens. Like never. Yeah. Well, it doesn't yeah. happen where you live. Rarely. We get thunder and lightning like you wouldn't imagine here. Like horizontal lightning. It's pretty Oh, cool. and in in, in that, your part of California, not in Yeah. Yeah. Not where you are. You don't get anything. It barely rains. But anyway, which is weird because it's near the ocean. Anyway, so I waited and nothing really came about. And so I did it again. And I said, okay, nothing happened. You got to help me out here. And I don't know. I just got a sense of something's going to happen. And the next day, I did it at night. And I had free time. And the next day, I'm driving down the street. And I drove down the side street to make kind of a U shape to get onto the main road. And a huge, I mean, huge raven. I mean, it was absolutely enormous. Flew right in front of my car. I was at a stop sign right in front of my car. Made no noise and landed on the curb and just stared at me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the wingspan of this thing had to be about eight feet across. I mean, it was huge. Abnormally large. It just stared at me. And the sense that I got you know, I didn't hear anything, but the sense, the sense that I got, oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. The sense I got was that you, know, you talk about them and they come. This is that, you know, I, I asked the wrong guy. He couldn't make it happen. So the big guy is going to take care of it for me. And not long after that, I came to some realizations about why I was in the situation that I was in. And I started to do things to change the situation I was in. And that made what I was seeking more available. But, you know, I saw that and it looked at me. I looked at him and he looked at me. I looked at him and then he kind of shrugged and took off and flew away. And there were no noise, no nothing. So, you know, that manifestation told me that in Norse terms, Thor couldn't make it happen. So Odin's going to do it. Odin's going to make that work. Right. Yeah. I have similar things with Ravens, but it's almost like a joke sometimes. But it is. They call it, they call, they call it the cosmic trickster (laughs) for a reason. (laughs) Well, I had a book of Edgar Allan Poe short stories on my bedstand. I love Poe. And, you know, both the Raven nevermore. Right. Sure. So, I like to pin the pendulum myself. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, that's good. So a raven just landed on my balcony, five feet away from my face, and just started squawking at me. Right, and then of course a few months later, there's a transformation. Not a good transformation, right? It's like a bad thing, kind of. But I don't want to yeah. couch it as a bad thing. It would be because it, they well, it's transformational. Transformation. Transformation, right. you know, we as humans, we perceive transformation to be positive or negative, but in reality, transformation right. is neutral. It's whatever you make it to right. be. That's right. And what you probably saw is the raven came when the transformation started. Because well, you said it, was, it took it took a couple months. You could see it, it, it. Yeah, yeah, you could see it coming. You could see it coming. See it yeah. coming. Again, it was it was the time we talked about the I don't want to mention the company here. Yeah, no, I got it. That I worked out. I got it. Was, it. You could see it coming. Yeah, when things started going downhill for that company, it was a harbinger. Yeah, and then and then and then, as you know, when 
things start going downhill for company. People start becoming more political and they also get angry and frustrated and tired and depressed. And yeah. Yeah. But also like they tend to make like bad decisions. Right. But anyway, (laughs) I can see a bad decision. (laughs) Yeah. I could see a bad decision, but I mean, I could see it before then too, but this was kind of like the confirmatory harbinger. Right. Right. And again, transformation that had to happen, but yes. And a transformation that led to something that you could ultimately be perceive as being good. Maybe it's still a work in progress. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's not a tangibly negative situation no. that it ended up being, but again, that's a hero's journey. You go up, you go down, but at, at times you have these things that come and warn you. And that's what the Raven did. I try to tell people that when they deal with esoterics, because occultism and esoterics this is where the secret cipher comes from i mean it was in a book that was dictated to crowley from an entity you know he wrote down what the guy told him to write down and this became the book of the law it was discovered decades later by a guy in england you know who just kind of figured it out one day and then it's been pushed in multiple ways and multiple levels by multiple people but esoterics themselves or occultism whatever you want to call it You know, to me personally, I've always viewed it as a, I have a really crappy way of explaining, but I I always said that it's like a lost science and I'm dystopian by nature. My predilection is toward dystopianists because I think dystopian outcomes are pragmatic. But if you think about it, right, when I was a kid, I used to play this insane game called Warhammer and in Warhammer, 40k there's a group called the the grimdark future or something like that what is it (laughs) the grimdark future yeah and there's a a group called the adeptus mechanicus and the mechanicus their adepts are basically they have well they have different kinds but they're basically mechanics armors scientists they are what's left of science in the 23rd century or whenever warhammer takes place 27th century or something whenever warhammer took place Warhammer is so dystopian that, like, to start a car, they have these armored personnel carriers called rhinos. And in order to start the rhino, there's a tech marine who's basically a marine, but he's an adeptus mechanicus trained. And he has to do the litany of ignition, where he goes through a ritual process to start a tank or to start an armored personnel carrier. When they service their weapons, as you can imagine, there are a lot of weapons in that future. When they service their weapons, the Adeptus Mechanicus comes and they put the cleansing oils, the sacred cleansing oils on it. So if you think about that, they make it a religious experience to start a tank because they've lost the technical knowledge that this is just a machine. I insert a key, I press a button, and the thing starts. They don't understand how it works, so it's some sort of a mystical experience to start a tank or a car. To me, that's the way esoterics and occultism are. You'll hear a lot of people tell you a lot of stories about a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, if you think about it logically, when you go into an OTO mass or when you go do ritual magic with your friends or even use a Ouija board or whatever you're going to do, there's a mechanical part of this where you're supposed to go through a ritual whether it's the lesser banishing of the pentagram or whatever you're doing, there's a process. There's always a process and a procedure. And it's almost like the process and the procedure to activate this stuff exists because we forgot what it is. 
And so I, I many times liken it in a roundabout sort of way to being a lost science, that this is a science. We know what it is, sort of, but we don't quite get it. So we do these things procedurally to activate it, not knowing that you can go direct. Because like in magic with a K, right? You know, there's this notion of ceremonial magic. I have a friend, he's, well, Alan, he's a ceremonial magician. He'll put on a cloak. He'll take a sword, you know, anoint the four corners and say things and anoint things and dance away and and whatever. You know, then there's a different version, which is like more like chaos magic, where you bypass all that stuff and you go direct and say, okay, you have to do certain things to trigger certain things to happen. But in general, it's a very open, easy way to do things. And then there's like nature magic. There's candle magic. There's iron magic. I mean, I sell iron railroad spikes on Etsy with a, a home protection kit because iron magic is very potent. If you bang these iron railroad spikes in the four corners of your property or your house, and then you say a blessing it will empower it's hoodoo based, but it'll empower yourself to protect, create like a defensive shield around your house. In reality, it absolutely works. I've gotten many testimonials that works, but you know, the, the process, the mechanical process of doing it is triggering something that we've known for 10,000 years, but we forgot. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it could almost be like a technology that we've just, like, like you, to your point, that we've forgotten yeah. how to use. Absolutely. I absolutely believe it is because, you know, it goes further than that. It harnesses the essential fortiness of the world. It's like, you know, when you see the Mothman, you know, there are a lot of UFO sightings when the Mothman appears or when Bigfoot appears, there's a lot of UFO sightings. You know, he appears in areas of high UFO concentration. You know, where there are cattle mutilations, there's human abductions, there's disappearances on the Polites missing 411 map. These are all places that Bigfoot appears. Well, is Bigfoot an alien? Is he interdimensional? You know, if you ask the Native Americans, he's a forest spirit. You know, if you ask somebody else, he's tangible and they think they can hunt him. If you ask mm-hmm. 14, they say, I don't know what he is. He's just weird. That's why, I, you know, it's 14. Does he come from a UFO? Does he come through a portal? Does he just live in the trees? Nobody knows for sure. So are there any dangers with this? I mean, all sorts of technologies can be used for good and for evil. It kind of a technology tends to be neutral in many ways. It just depends on how it's used. What's your view on that? Yeah. I mean, I've always believed that the universe itself, applying a non-denominational model to spirituality i think the universe is neutral i think the universe i had this argument the other night i think the universe is not fundamentally good or bad i think it's the universe is about efficiency and i think the universe wants you to be optimally efficient but if you don't do what the universe says then it's it's going to redirect you toward efficiency but at the same time you know i believe that there are entities out there And there are people that are out there that are evil and bad. And there are people out there and entities out there that are good. And I believe that there is just an absolutely apocalyptic struggle between the good and the bad. I do believe that. And I do believe that there are negative people and beings and entities out there. And I do believe that there are people that try to harness it using things like Goetia or other methods 
know, I've seen people trying to manifest dark spirits and, you know, the darkness overtakes them. Right. And I've seen people try to manifest good spirits and goodness and kindness overtakes them. So, yeah, I mean, I think the universe is fundamentally neutral, but I think that there are bad things out there. And I think the, obviously the black lodge, you can tell by its name, it's a fundamentally bad organization that does bad things. Uh, you teed this up perfectly, my friend. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, it, it's, is it the devil? I don't know. Is it a bad thing? Yes. Do you want to call it the devil, Lucifer, or whatever? Sure. Call it that. Call it whatever you want. Beelzebub, right, well, Hades, hell. Hell is the Scandinavian goddess of the underworld. But yeah, there are bad things. And again, you know, the Black Lodge is an organization of bad people that do bad things. All right. Well, with that, thank you sure. very much. Let's end the episode <laughs> on that note so okay. we can tease folks for the next episode. So coming next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. It'll I don't know if it'll be contiguous or if it'll be It'll be something in between, but coming later, sometime in, in the nebulous future. Yeah, and sometime in the grim dark future, you will see. <laughs> right. the you will see. All right. Thank you very much, Olaf. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's video, please hit like and subscribe. And also hit the notification button so you can be notified whenever I post new content. Thank you. Now, if you're enjoying the channel and you want to support it. There are several things you can do. In fact, there are five things you can do. The first thing you can do is just buy my books. I got plenty of books out in the market right now, and I would prefer that folks buy a book rather than giving me direct support because they get something out of it. They have a real tangible product. The second way you can support me is by becoming a member on YouTube or becoming a patron on Patreon. And just go to either site and it'll explain everything. Third way you can support the channel is by checking out my merch site, which is here. There's plenty of stuff that you could get to support the channel. And I'd appreciate that you, you have it and you can wear it. Not only do you help support the channel, but you also help promote the channel. And I appreciate that. The fourth way that you can support the channel, and this is really easy, is anytime you want to buy something on Amazon, literally just go to the description below and click on any link, literally any link. The channel gets a cut of that, and it costs you no extra money. You just go through the link as I'm part of the Amazon Affiliates Club. The fifth and final way you can support the channel is through donations. Now, I don't prefer these because it's more of an expression of gratitude, but you don't really get anything out of it as a subscriber to the channel. However, if you decide to do these options, there's two options. There's Buy Me a Coffee, which is a separate site, and there's also you can go through YouTube with either a Super Chat, Super Sticker, or a Super Thanks. Again, I prefer Buy Me A Coffee because that organization takes less money than Amazon does. But either way, I appreciate any support you are willing to give the channel. So thank you very much and keep watching. I really appreciate it.